The reading this evening is taken from Acts 14, page 1109 in the Pew Bibles. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want to show you a nice map, which I think we may have had a glimpse of earlier, because this will show you what we're talking about on this journey. So if you can get the map up, that'd be great. Um, Here's a map of Paul's first missionary journey. And the bit we're looking at tonight is the line in blue. Can you see that line in blue? So first of all, you might not be able to read what it says, but they start at a place called Antioch. And then they go to Cyprus. Anyone been to Cyprus? Yeah, I've been to Cyprus. It's quite nice there, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, well, Barnabas thought it was nice there probably because he came from Cyprus. And then they went on to Perga. And then Antioch in Pisidia. So you keep go up north, Antioch in Pisidia up there on that blue line. And then they kind of turn right and they go to Iconium. And that's the place we're talking about tonight in those few seven verses. And the first verse of our reading refers to this place, Iconium. It says, Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. So the pattern for this going to the synagogue first, going to the Jews first when they arrive in a place, seems to have been established already on this journey. That's what they did in Cyprus, and that's what they did in Antioch in Pisidia. So there's this pattern of going where lots of Jewish people and also some people who'd become Jews, who weren't born Jews, converts to Judaism, could get together, and Barnabas and Paul spoke to them about Jesus and what happened a few years earlier where he rose from the dead. And it's likely Paul said similar things in Iconium when he uh, spoke, as he said previously, at Antioch in Pisidia, which I think Eddie talked about last week. Now, you might be sitting there this evening thinking, particularly if you're new to St. John's and maybe the whole idea of Christianity, and you're thinking, why would I want to come to church tonight and have a history lesson about a journey which, by the way, probably happened about between 46 and 49 AD, just after Jesus has died and risen from the dead in 33. What relevance has this got for me tomorrow when I go about my business this week? You know, what on earth are we doing this history lesson for? Well, I think hopefully, if you're thinking that, that... It will tell you something more about Jesus, and Jesus is the person Christians follow. Uh, They believe in him, they trust him. And also, hopefully, it will help you see what kind of people 
these Christians, Paul and Barnabas, were like, these early Christians, these early followers of Jesus. And if you're a Christian already, I hope you'll be inspired by Paul and Barnabas in serving God and others in your front line, whatever you do during the week this week. So let's pray. Lord of all, we thank you that you are our Father and you sent your Son in your great love to save us. And that's great news. Uh, You want to share that love with us. You want us in your family. And we just pray that you'll help us to learn more about how maybe we can share that news with others as we look at this passage tonight. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, Now, the first thing I'd like to point out about Barnabas and Paul was they were willing to go wherever God sent them. So they were sent off from over there, Antioch, all the way round. Then they came back again on this journey. But they were willing to go wherever God sent them, and they wanted to tell others about Jesus. They wanted to tell them that Jesus had died and risen again. So this is a few years later after that had happened, and that's what their task was. And I would say, looking at them, I would say they were great risk-takers, and they were very brave, as travel on a journey like this was no mean feat. I was just talking to someone just a moment ago who'd been sailing in a boat, and they had to stay in port because of the dangers uh, one day. And, you know, you had dangers at travelling at sea. You can get attacked at th- by thieves and so on when you're travelling. You know, there were risks. There was also violent opposition to them, to Paul and Barnabas' message. And people caused them physical harm. So they were risk-takers. They were brave. And now I'd like to make just three points about this this evening. And one is, Paul spoke about Jesus boldly in a culturally relevant way, culturally relevant way. The second one is, they weren't put off by opposition to the message. And that opposition in our situation might well be a bit passive, if you know what I mean. Um, And God performed practical signs and wonders through Paul. Okay? So those are my three points. So let's zoom on and think about how he spoke about Jesus boldly in a culturally relevant way. Now... I've just been to Australia to meet my new grandchild, which is very exciting for me. Now, in the UK, if you're lucky enough to have a garden, it normally means the bit outside your flat or your house that's got grass on it and plants, flowers and stuff, doesn't it? That's what we think a garden is. Maybe a tree or two if you're lucky. Now, if you go to Australia, there's a different concept because... The grass bit in your garden, what I would call a garden, is called your yard. Did you know that? It's your yard, the grass bit. And then the, the bit, you might have the flowers in pots and things or in a flower bed, but that's your garden. All right? So your yard is your grass and the flowery bits are your garden. I think it's very, if you remember anything to know, I've got more important things to say than this to you. Ignore that. It's an illustration. Right. Anyway, that's an example of different cultures understanding words in different ways. And Paul was very good at adapting to different cultures when he spoke. So their habit was go to the Jews first. So he goes, and in his sermon that Eddie talked about uh, at Antioch in Pisidia, 
which was probably very similar to the sermon he gave in Iconium. I think you've got it there. Luke puts it there so that we can, we can see what kind of thing he used to say. He was talking, as I said, to Jews and to non-Jews who were converts uh, to Judaism. He referred to the Old Testament part of the Bible that they were familiar with, and it was used in the synagogue. It was part of their culture. They understood it. They knew it well. And then he showed, through the Old Testament, how Jesus' death to save us from our sins and his resurrection is predicted there hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. So he started with what they were familiar with, And then he spoke about Jesus from that basis of the Old Testament, which was their Bible. He said, verse 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So, that bit at the end, I'll come to in a minute, the red bit. But the first bit is... um, it's not particularly cultural specific where, he's, where Paul says I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through him everyone believes is set free from every sin because the people at the time would have been quite aware of this idea of sin wrongdoing, turning away from God they knew God didn't like sin now in our UK culture today the word sin is often an alien idea to people completely Sin is a bit of a taboo word. Although, we're very aware of wrongdoing when it comes to politicians, rather than news, aren't we? It's just we don't really like that same thing applied to ourselves. But anyway, it can be a a difficult word, sin, today, for us. So we're in a different culture. And what Paul said is that if we believe in Jesus, he frees us from sin and its effects. So the people he spoke to in Iconium first of all, would have been familiar with the idea as that was their Jewish culture. They understood it and the cultures around did too. But the last part there in red is very specific to the Jewish culture of the people listening to him. So he says, through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you weren't able to obtain under the law of Moses. Well, if you go down the standard and say that to someone, I suspect they won't know what on earth you're talking about, most of them. This part talks about justification being made right with God, being brought back into a relationship with God, which was a very, very familiar Jewish idea. And it also talks about the law of Moses. That was very familiar to them. The Jews thought you could be made right with God through behaving in a way that pleased God, and that was by obeying and trying to follow exactly the law of Moses from the Old Testament. That's where they were coming from. So he spoke to that. And actually, although people, if you said that to them, they probably wouldn't get that at all about the law of Moses. That idea is still around today, very much so. Because in most religions or philosophies, they say if you behave well or in certain ways, you can get close to God or you can cope better with life uh, or go to live with God when you die. It's down to you to do things, to be good right to, to fulfill something and that's what the Jews at the time f- believed and that's what Paul was trying to talk to so in fact that still is around today but it isn't expressed in exactly the same way so what Paul says is that no one can love like God no one can get everything right except one person and that's Jesus his love and his obedience to his father's way of love 
meant that when he died, he set us free from the effect of sin, as Paul says here. So we can experience this new freedom, which many of you sitting here tonight know already, in following Jesus, a relationship with him right here and right now. And then we also have a sure and certain hope that when we die, we'll have this great existence with God face to face, where there's love rules, there's no sin, there's no death. And all we have to do is we have to believe and receive the free gift of freedom and sin that Jesus offers us. And if you're someone sitting there tonight who's trying to find out more about Christianity, that's the central bit of it, all right? So anyway, Paul is speaking there in a culturally relevant way to these people in the synagogue who understand the Jewish culture when he went on that first journey and spoke at Iconium. Now, I'm going to quote, I'm going to steal part of someone else's sermon probably, which is bad, you shouldn't do this, but only briefly, I'm going to jump to Acts 17, to Athens. So later he goes to Athens, I'm sorry I've told you this, I've spoilt all the future sermons. But he goes to Athens, and there the culture was very different. I'm only saying this to demonstrate the point. So he spoke slightly differently, but he had that same core message about the need for repentance, turning back to God, and Jesus being raised from the dead. When he went to Athens, he walked around. He was actually on his own for a bit, and he noticed there's a lot of idol worship going on. There's statues, there's altars all over the city to different so-called gods. He noticed one in particular. So he's then stood up and he started with that because that was culturally familiar to them and he said people of Athens I see in every way you're very religious as I walk round and look carefully at your objects of worship I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god so you're ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you so a Paul there you can see him adapting his message to Athens he doesn't start with the Old Testament he doesn't give that Jewish history from the Old Testament as he did in Iconium but here he starts talking about God as creator of everything there is of being unlimited not only present in a temple but everywhere and how we're all his offspring his children which Eddie was talking about and need to seek him and then he talks about the need for repentance turning back to God Jesus being raised from the dead so he changes it so if you're a Christian sitting here tonight, I think this point's really important for all of us, as it reminds us that when we share our faith with others, we will need to try and adapt it to the culture we're in, to the person we're talking to, and we will know them best. And Paul's a great example of this, and was guided by God's Holy Spirit in the way he adapted to different cultures and people. In the same way, I'd encourage you to pray for God's help with his spirit, through his Spirit every day. When you go into your exciting week, because I'm certain you're going to have an exciting week, fired up by these words, that's my aim anyway, and ask God to guide you to be adaptable to different people and cultures in London, who you meet, your work colleagues, whoever it is. But of course the core message is the same, of Jesus showing his love for us in dying and rising to give us freedom from sin, a life of eternal quality now and in the future, which we remember when we come and share the bread and wine in a moment. So that's the first point about Paul. He spoke about Jesus in a culturally relevant way. Now, the second point is, and it isn't as long as the first, let me warn you, so don't worry. Now we move on to think about Paul and Barnabas weren't put off by opposition to their message. 
It says there in verse 2, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. So even though there's this opposition, they're all stirred up, they didn't stop telling others about Jesus. Now, when you go to work tomorrow, you know, you may not get opposition like that, but you might get kind of passive-aggressive or, do you know what I mean? If you get a situation where you, you feel it's appropriate to say something. And I, I wonder if you or I faced opposition like they did, we might have scarpered quite quickly and, and not put up with it. But they carried on and they spoke boldly in Iconium. And the temptation, I think, is, is to not say anything or not say anything again if we have said something about Jesus or not to bother to talk to that person again. There's a temptation there. But Paul and Barnabas gave that example of carrying on to those who were speaking to those who had listened. They didn't stop, they persevered. So when we go to work tomorrow morning, you know, our experience isn't going to be exactly like theirs. They were speaking to big meetings like this, or even bigger than this, probably. Um, that's not going to be our experience, probably. But just as they were sent by God to travel on that journey, I believe all of you, whatever you do in the week, you're sent by God to do whatever you do in the week. In just the same way. And it may be we'll face some kind of opposition or we'll have a chance to share our faith. And I think it's useful to look at... I've got a model here from Krish Kandia, who's written a book called Faithism. Faithism. And it's primarily about working with people who are atheists in our workplace and managing to work for a common purpose together while maintaining our integrity as a Christian and maybe encouraging them to follow Jesus as well. And this model has four parts. And they all begin with C, as you can see. So it's dead. It's actually, I find the first two easier to remember than the last two, but anyway. So collision, collusion, contention, and collaboration. I will explain. Now, I'm giving you an example from something that happened to me. I'm not, certainly not perfect in trying to talk to others about Jesus, and I make loads of mistakes. I'm only doing this to demonstrate the point. Well, the other day I was talking to someone who I know quite well, and the subject of faith in God in general came up. And I could have immediately said to that person, well, well, there's only one God, and unless you decide to follow him, you are going to hell. I could have said that. But I think that may well have led to a collision in our conversation. I suspect we may never have broached the subject again. I also suspect the relationship would be quite tense in the future. I don't know what they, kind of person they think I was. Anyway, I didn't make that my first point, you'll be glad to hear. So we didn't collide. There was no collision. And as the conversation progressed, the other person said, well, well of course, the, the Bible has been greatly changed over time, so you can't really take it too literally a commonly held view. Now, at this point, see the second one, collusion. At this point, I had to be careful not to collude with them and keep quiet and not say anything. I had to be careful of collusion because I think one of the biggest temptations for us as Christians, I think this is probably the main one for me, is in our witnesses to collude by keeping quiet 
and then give the wrong impression to someone else about what we believe. If it's something major like that, I think some, we have to say something respectfully. So I said, well, there are 39 books in the Bible. It's a library of books. You know, it's, it's, there's some historical bits. There's some more poetical bits. I talked about that. And, um, but I've just been running a case for Christ course in church. And that demonstrates clearly that the New Testament accounts about Jesus haven't been changed over time. They're very historically accurate, having the most supporting evidence of any ancient document. So I didn't agree with this other person. And at this point, there could have been contention, could there not? We could have had a bit of to and fro of debate, which I was happy to do, but we didn't have time. But I think if we're respectful of the other person's position and confident of our own, then hopefully we can move from contention, that bit of debate, towards the final one, collaboration. And that collaboration uh, means we can maintain our relationship with our integrity intact and work together for a common purpose. Or if it's our family, you know, we can still get on with each other without getting annoyed with each other all the time. But hopefully, all the time, me praying madly for that person uh, to come to faith in Jesus. And that would spur me on to pray for them. So that's, that's an example from something that happened to me of that in action. And I think it's a really useful model. So when we work in, in, with others in the week, the aim is to aim for collaboration with our friends, family, work colleagues, whoever it is. Avoiding, um, not avoiding contention but avoiding collision and collusion they're not so good there may well be a bit of opposition but this model I think can help us cope with it so let's move on to our last point finally God performs signs and wonders through Paul and Barnabas it says in verse 3 Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there boldly speaking for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders The good news that Paul and Barnabas spoke about was backed up by practical action, signs and wonders of God's presence and goodness. It wasn't just words, it was practical action too. Maybe the signs and wonders involved healing. If we read on, we can see in the next chapter, I think, that uh, the next stage of the journey, uh, God heals a man through Paul who couldn't walk. I mean, I've personally experienced a miraculous healing a bit like that. Uh, quite immediate Uh, there may be others here today who've experienced that kind of thing but the point I think we can draw from this is the good news Paul was talking about was backed up by action which demonstrated God's good news through Jesus it wasn't just words and the summary as you all know I'm sure of what we're meant to do as Christians outlined by Jesus love God love your neighbour love God love your neighbour And we show love by sharing with others the good news of God's love, like Paul and Barnabas did. But we also show that same love by helping our neighbour, being kind to others, working for social justice. So this week, I want you to have an exciting week. Are you up for this? Some people are still awake, aren't they? I think. Well, it's pretending. They're good at pretending. So, pray for others. Pray for healing. Pray for miracles. Act in a loving way to help others. There are so many ways. You might be someone else's wonder. 
you might be a sign to them of God's, God's wonderful love by your actions. Work for social justice. We must demonstrate God's good news in words and actions. And if you aren't a Christian yet, I'll go back to that first question. I hope you decide to follow Jesus as Paul and Barnabas encourage people to do. And if you are a Christian and want to have a more exciting and adventurous week, I would encourage you to reflect on what Paul and Barnabas did on that journey. Tell others in a culturally relevant way about Jesus. Face opposition, but persevere. Keep going. And allow God to work through you in practical ways with signs and wonders of God's love at work. May we have an exciting week. May we do the same in the week ahead and the months ahead. Amen.